It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Welcome, folks. We told you we weren't going to jip you, all right? This is a Patreon-exclusive episode of American Loser Podcast, which, if you don't know, uh, you got to start just being more responsible with your money or some shit, because you're, you're paying for this, okay? <laughs> you should know what this is, all right? We're not trying to hide anything weird here on you, but we are live, of course, at a shared universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. My name's KP Burke. My dill of a dad, Larry, is here. How are you, sir? Hey, we're doing fine, Kev. We're doing fine. I hear you. It's, uh, New Jersey is a confusing state. It's... Uh, we got hit with a blizzard, I guess, yesterday. Yeah, and, uh, the blizzard that wasn't. Yeah, it was a, a very confusing one. So I wrote that out down over at uh, Uncle Paulie's house, and it was just a rainstorm down there. Yeah, well, by us, it was more sleet than uh, than snow. Although they were forecasting snow, it turned out to be more sleet than snow, which kept the total accumulation down, which I'm not complaining about. But nonetheless, here we are. Other parts of the state got pretty much hammered so yeah what we're trying to say is fuck new jersey um <laughs> no we're on our way out here behind the ones and twos of course who could it be the kahunas in the building what's going on gents well i was, I was very happy i don't want to say it on this one i want to say it on the uh uh the other one that's going to be coming out on the weekly so that everybody can hear it so not just the founding losers but I'll let we'll, him in on that we'll let the founding losers know we gave kahuna his christmas present and uh he's pretty happy about it yes yeah. I am. <laughs> i'm happier than a pig and shit yeah we well uh, which is appropriate miss piggy so I mean, <laughs> this is a great when one. we happened upon this we had to give it to him it's uh jim henson's official uh, uh how to make your own muppet type uh scenario here so next week kahuna is going to have a little puppet that's going to be doing the soundboards for us <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you know it already hasn't happened uh I've, i'm waiting for the day buddy i really am waiting for the day <laughs> So we're just going to come in here. There's going to be like a jigsaw version of you sitting in a chair. I want to play a game. <laughs> but no, we're excited, man. Uh, we're in the Christmas spirit. We got to record as many of these as we can because, Lawrence Patrick, you're going to go head down to South Beach soon. I am. I am indeed. I'm going to ride this out in Jacksonville and probably impregnate a local girl and then uh, abandon a child. So, okay. All right. you know, same well, thing I did well, last time. Well, at least you're getting the heads up. That's <laughs> one, one good snowstorm in Jersey and I'm I'm out of here, man. We really did run like uh, a couple of pussies on this one, didn't we? Absolutely. But it's You know what? I'm done with it. And I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> I'd rather sit on a beach in the warm sunshine than firing up the snowblower ain't no sunshine when she's gone <laughs> accurate accurate but uh so mike and ming always being good to us here they're giving us uh we're going to be in the studio a lot uh leading up to christmas now so we wanted to get this one out here for you guys this is uh i don't want to call it a christmas gift because we did do 1812 part one and two we had to stretch that out over the course of a month because uh, we essentially wrote a book dad that's what yeah we, did. we bit off a little bit more than uh not that we couldn't chew it but uh there was it a part was, one and a part yeah. two, a surprise part right. three, four, five, and six. It really yeah. it was as surprising as the War of eighteen twelve. Yeah, little, little known war. What can, you know? What, how much? How deep can we get into this? Well, when you start scratching the surface, like holy shit! Well, you guys have done specials before. That was the movie. Yeah, it was go. for real. That was uh, that was definitely a, an ambitious project. So the feedback was nothing but phenomenal. So as always, thank you so much to the people over at Patreon. You guys are doing. You guys are the reason why the show is free on Tuesday still for everybody else. 
So we cannot do this without you guys. I got most of the addresses. Uh, my mother ordered some envelopes. We're going to be sending those out. When you guys get your merch, that came from me and LP. All right, we're going to sit there. Well, uh, I'm going to sign them. You know, they'll write a little personalized note to you. My father's going to put on uh, some lipstick and kiss it. You there know? you go. There <laughs> you go. Hey, I thought I was doing that. <laughs> Sealed with a kiss. But uh, it's because of you guys we get to keep doing the show here. And we want to reward you for that. Uh, and we want to give you, uh, A, what you bought, which to me, 1812, again, it took us uh, a little bit of time to, to break that one down. But I think you guys are happy with the final product here. This is your Patreon episode for the great month of December. So I'm very excited here. We're going to dive into this topic. Uh, LP, we stayed with the ambitious uh, nature of the show. We found ourselves a damn good loser here. And I announced this on Patreon so they know the topic's coming. Okay. So they know that it's going to be John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. Right. Off the top of your head, Kahuna, do you know anything about this? No, not even a little bit. You've I think... heard of John Brown, though. That does sound familiar. Okay. Well, there's a couple of songs that right. maybe reference him a His little bit. His body lies a moldering in the grave. <laughs> well, uh, in order for this episode to work, we're going to have to put aside some emotions, though, right? We're going to talk about a couple of complex uh, things, some some definitely emotional uh, catalysts here and whatnot. I ask simply that you guys allow the information to hit you without the modern sensibilities of, of playing like a rearview mirror, Monday morning quarterback type situation. So uh, for this episode, if you are an atheist, I ask that you just recognize the power that religion had during the time frame the story is being told in. And the Kahuna suspend his personal politics uh, and agree for the sake of argument that uh, Kahuna, were, um, I, I think I think you'll be OK with this one. For this episode, are you willing to say that slavery is bad? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So fundamental flaw, definitely a black eye on the uh, the whole American history scene is the uh, what a lot of people consider America's original sin of slavery. So that's definitely a thing here uh, for the time. It was more normal. But for the time, it was also there's a lot of interesting personalities here. And there's uh, a lot of stuff in the background that goes on on this story. So I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, if we can't even agree, Dad, on exactly when the Civil War ended, which uh, if you've been to Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia, you say, well, this is where Lee's Army of Northern Virginia surrendered. Right. And then I asked the tour guide, I said, well, when did the actual Civil War end? And that's when the, the tour guide just goes, well, son, you see, that depends on who you talk to. <laughs> so there's still uh, some And it people. wasn't the Civil War. It was the War of Northern Aggression. Northern Aggression. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> all depends on your viewpoint. By the way, Northern Aggression would be a good name for a, a, a weekly uh comedy show where it was just a bunch of angry guys from Boston. I was about uh, to say that sounded like one of those uh, those bands that would just constantly do covers of I forgot what it's called so I was uh, just like okay, I got to off to Boston. Yeah, yeah. I'm shipping up to Boston from uh, Dropkick Murphy so yeah. There you uh, go. We try not to be total stereotypes of the Irish persuasion here on the show. <laughs> well we try. <laughs> There's an attempt. Well uh this one's interesting here. So if we can't exactly pinpoint when the Civil War ended, we can definitely say when it started, right? Lawrence Patrick Burke, what is the textbook an uh, textbook answer rather of what is the event that started the American Civil War? The event that started it would be uh, the Confederate forces firing on Fort Sumter on uh, April April twelfth. Yeah, April 12th, April 12th, 1861. Look at this fucking guy. He didn't even look at his notes on that. <laughs> we had that one. We had that one. Well. Many people would say that that is uh, the textbook and accurate answer. You're correct in your information there, Dad. But, oh, thanks. Uh, I got that one right. I'm here today to uh, make an argument, though, that uh, it may have actually started the morning of August 22nd, 1831, a full 30 years before the firing of uh, you know the shots at Fort Sumner. Uh, again, this taking place, as most of original American history does, in the wild Commonwealth of Virginia. So... 
the uh, the day before uh, on August 22nd here in 1831, a, uh, a rather uh, peculiar character, a uh, slave preacher named Nat Turner, met with some of his most trusted followers at a barbecue. I shit you not. Uh, to begin uh, his plans for an insurrection for the ages. So Nat Turner, you know the name off the top of your head, right? You yes, guess? I was automatically familiar. Oh, yeah. I believe the movie uh, Birth of a Nation uh, kind of tells his story. I haven't seen that one yet. That's uh, relatively new here. But uh, I definitely knew his story growing up as a kid. And it's a good one. And I want to compare and contrast this one. I think you guys will appreciate what we're doing here. Nat Turner is he's an unusual guy by almost all accounts. His story is largely told from his final confessions, uh, which were made to a guy, after, you know, obviously we're going to figure out the story. Nat Turner gets captured. Okay. And uh, he makes... Spoilers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah he's um, he's not the topic uh, of uh, this particular episode, but he is a good guy to kind of contrast of. But uh, a little loserception here, action. The guy who he made the confession to uh, is not exactly a guy that was sympathetic to him. So he kind of maybe embellishes. Maybe the guy was a little bit of a madman. Maybe there was some uh, psychosis going on here. Maybe uh, the word bipolar would be thrown around in the modern context. But uh, the guy who was writing these uh, this final confession him kind of paints him in a bad light. Reminds us of Loserception, good old Edgar Allan Poe, who had his obituary written by a guy who did not like him. Right. His Made life. him sound like a, a moody, opium-drinking yeah. asshole. <laughs> Poe's lifelong nemesis is the guy that's writing his final obit and his his backstory, if you will, when there's nobody, nobody around to uh, argue the point. Yeah, it's a, a bad, bad business relationship uh, on this one here. So, but that's uh, that's all the information that we pretty much have on Nat Turner here. But I want to just go ahead and try to tell the story real quick, again for the comparison's sake. Uh, the story of Nat Turner becomes instantly politicized during the times. So, abolitionists, those are the people that want to get rid of slavery entirely. Uh, they're painting Nat Turner as a moral hero, a Moses-type figure. Okay, again, we're talking about religion a little bit here. Moses leading his people to rise against the institution of slavery. And the Southerners portray him as a murdering terrorist. Here's the weird part. They're both right. Okay. <laughs> this one's a complex one. We got to talk about it a little bit here. Nat Turner is a rarity. He was a slave who could read and write. And he brags that he's like, oh, I don't, I don't even remember having to teach myself to read. I just kind of set out and did it. You know, really, it was his first master that uh, allowed, who had the last name Turner, by the way. He was probably breaking the law by doing that. Oh, yeah. It, uh, what do you mean you're going to teach him how to you know, read and write, you know? But uh, his first master allowed him to be educated in uh, those regards. Now, Nat Turner also, I believe, had was sold three times during his own life. So if the institution of slavery isn't bad enough, now imagine you get, you know, like, could it get any worse? And then the next person that buys you, you know, sends you to another, get separated from your family. And now this, uh, you know, an even bigger asshole is your boss now. It could be, uh, it's just an ugly, ugly time for this. But uh, Turner winds up, uh, like I said, he's got uh, a little bit of, Maybe uh, maybe it's mania that he has, you know, where he has these uh, super highs and super lows, the bipolar thing like we were talking about. But uh, again, he's a rarity. He can read and write. He becomes this impassioned preacher. What is it with uh, religious zealots? They get some shit done. OK, they can whip a congregation up into a storm. And uh, Nat Turner is a preacher. He's preaching to his fellow slaves all the time. He keep, He's actually telling them that he's experiencing uh, visions. I think one of the visions he talked about was it was a. Uh, pieces of corn but instead of kernels of corn it was blood so this guy's seeing some wild shit here so i think uh, you've been hanging out in the sun too long right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is uh not by uh, your own accord but still yeah maybe he was hanging out at altamont with uh the hell's angels or something like that <laughs> but a little loose reception there sort of but 
Anyway, uh, he goes ahead and he's experiencing these visions. The voices in his head are telling him that now is the time to act. There's even an eclipse that happens the day before uh, this incident that allows him to, to say, God's speaking to me. These are the signs, blah, blah, blah. Of course, it's you know like a conspiracy theorist. That's like when you left Jacksonville, right? Yeah. Essentially, yeah. It was, well, I didn't really get to decide when I left Jacksonville. Someone else decided for me. But uh, it's time for Turner to make uh, uh, etch his name into the history books forever. So uh, Turner's mania, as well as his intelligence, though, are put on display in this initial action here. He and his followers, his most loyal followers, sneak into their master's home in the early hours of the morning and murders the entire family while they're still in their beds. So Turner's victims included men, women, and children. The infant, the young infant of the uh, his master's house, if you will, was left in the crib, and his followers went in and murdered the infant in the crib. So uh, you see how maybe there's a little bit, maybe you shouldn't be praising him as Moses, you know? Uh, maybe this isn't just you know a great guy who's frustrated with the system. You're murdering little kids, that's pretty bad, right? So it's there's that's a black eye. Like on, he per, like he did it or his followers did it. Uh, I think it's kind of one and the same. There's a little bit of uh, it's almost like a Manson thing where yeah, you know, Manson didn't technically kill anybody, but uh, they certainly were carrying out orders, weren't yeah. they? But uh, the hope was that Nat could reach a town in Virginia that had. And keep in mind, we've been talking about religion here. We keep comparing him to to, to Moses a little bit. Um, Nat was going to reach a town in Virginia that had a large weapon stash. I shit you not, the name of the town, Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? I kid you not. This religious zealot preacher is now has you know, his armed insurrection, kind of like uh, Moses leading the Jews out of Egypt. He's trying to get to Jerusalem. To the promised land. Oh, yeah. Arming themselves with uh, the muskets, because keep in mind, it's the 1830s here. That's going to be very necessary in furthering this rebellion. So, you know, he's kind of like Spartacus. He's got to get his hands on some weapons here. Uh, but in the beginnings... Uh, the slaves in revolt, they don't have guns. They also, you pointed this out too, Dad, as we were talking about, they also probably didn't know how to use guns. Right. So, yes, pull the trigger, but how do you load the thing? I mean, these are, that's a skill that's acquired. You're certainly not going to teach that to someone who could then use it against that you. You've now enslaved, you're, you're not going to teach somebody that you've enslaved to how to fire a musket. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they think it's too dangerous to let uh, the slaves read and write. Now imagine having them you know, trained with firearms properly. But they're using uh, knives and axes. Right. And they're quite productive, though. In the first 48 hours of Nat Turner's rebellion, 50 white people are killed. One white family actually gets spared. This is the interesting one. Uh, they get spared because they were poor and did not own slaves. So but again, Turner and his disciples, when they go to murder people that did own slaves, it does not matter if you are a man, a woman or a child, you are getting hacked to pieces here. Uh, inside your own home. Yeah, you got to use what you know how to use. I mean, these are all uh, farmhands prim primarily. It's that, true. Uh, you know, you know how to use an axe, you know how to use a knife, That uh, if that's all you got, you're going to go with what you got. And this was unheard of prior to this, too, because there was always the fear that they could rise up. This was organized. Nat Turner's clearly an intelligent guy, so they had a game plan. A lot of it was the shock element, too, that they're able to just walk into these mansions in the South and start hacking people to pieces. And I forget who it was, um, one of my professors at Brookdale, broke it down for me that uh, Nat Turner's age around this time would have put him in like the prime years of his life for a, a male slave. Uh, probably the price would be commensurate to a brand new uh, Mercedes Benz. So if you see somebody who has a Mercedes Benz or something like that, that's typically how much a, a prime, top, yeah. a primo slave would go for yeah, back in uh, the Interdome South. So. miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kahuna's looking at his Cadillac different, like, oh, I guess yeah. I could afford some. <laughs> but 
Um, anyway, an armed force eventually is going to put down this revolt of Nat Turner, and Nat Turner is captured. He's going to stay in trial, and he gets executed. Okay, but the story was already a media sensation. To the abolitionists, this man showed the, the passion and capacity and personhood to dismantle the narratives that blacks or slaves were the lesser thens of society. Like, these are the people. By the way, a big thing the abolitionists used to do is they would take um, the most, uh, I found this out, I thought it was interesting too, they would take the most light-skinned um, slaves and bring them out to show uh, for like the, the abolition meetings and stuff because they wanted to sit there and then they would stand up like, see, this guy looks just like you. Yeah. You know, So you, know, you can sit there and pretend that you came from somewhere different, but really at the end of the day, we're all human beings. So they would do that. And then the other thing they would show is the most brutal uh, scars from some of the, the whippings and stuff like that. So abolition meetings, they certainly were propaganda heavy, but they had a moral high ground. So that was an interesting thing here. This is showcasing the immorality of slavery, which is a hot button issue. The founding fathers tried to tackle it and couldn't either like, listen, we, we can either maybe let's sideline this for a little while so we can have a country right. because we cannot get the boys of the South Can't to agree with the boys bring, of the North right, right now. Bring everybody together in the common foe of Great Britain. What's interesting, too, is Great Britain at this time or England has already abolished slavery by the 1830s. So, you know, England, uh, we always kind of look towards England as uh, um, we're going to be copycats of uh, their government, except you know, we're going to have a, a voice to the people. Um, they've already abolished slavery in, in England. So that was that comes to become a, another political seesaw back and forth in a, in a few more years when the South finally does separate from the from the North. But I'm getting ahead of the getting ahead of the story. Here. No worries there, man. The abolitionists, they love the story of Nat Turner because they think that this, you know, uh, more people should be doing this kind of a thing. Let's get rid of this evil institution of slavery. And like we said on the show, a pretty easy concept throughout history, going back to the Romans, going back to the Greeks and the Vikings, enslaving people and kidnapping them is not cool. Don't do it. All right. Listeners at home, if you're thinking about starting slavery, please don't. <laughs> Just I, don't do it. I, I, <laughs> we ask simply that you don't. But to the slave owning South and uh, not to mention also, that's the key. I think it was only like one percent. It, it was the upper tier, if you will, uh, of Southern society was even able to afford slaves. But now the fear is if you're just living in the South and, you know, somebody nearby that has a plantation uh, with you know maybe 20 slaves on is that. 20 slaves are they going to turn into a marauding raiding party that one night's going to come to your house and kill everybody while you sleep that's something i think that's making the seven o'clock news that night you know what i mean yeah. but it showed uh that, well this is what happens if you want to be you know uh to go in the opposite direction with it too a lot of people are like well see this is what happens when uh you allow your property to read and write you know if nat turner never learned how to read and write this never could have happened we shouldn't have let them have religion you know over 50 other slaves in turner's rebellion by the way also get executed and uh, incidents of brutality against slaves that possibly weren't even involved in the rebellion. You start seeing more widespread stuff about it. It's, it's time to let's make sure we teach them a lesson. Yeah, it's okay. the trickle effect. It's it, like, oh, well, you don't want this to happen again. Exactly. So uh, something that you hoped would have been for the good is now forcing everybody to get treated even worse than they were before. So that scares off people from even wanting to get involved and in maybe say the next guy who says, I'm seeing visions from God telling us to free ourselves. Shh, keep it quiet. Yeah. All right. Jesus. But definitely an intense thing here. This is like we said, it's the original sin of uh, America at this time. Uh, the fear of another uplise, uh, uprising leads to worsening conditions for the slaves. The benevolence of some of even the more lenient slave owners, by the way, a benevolent slave owner. So that is jumbo shrimp. That's an oxymoron. But uh, there was such a thing as people that you'd prefer to be 
uh, enslaved by and instead of you know the absolute malice of some of the other ones. Right, you're still a slave, but maybe he's not whipping me, but he, you're still a slave. Yeah, he's not going to cut my feet off at the ankles because I tried to run away or something like that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. These are now getting uh, replaced, though. There's a legitimate fear that these slave holders and even people nearby, you know, uh, plantations and whatnot. They're afraid every night when they close their eyes is, the, you know, when I wake up, is there going to be uh, a party of runaway slaves stabbing me and my wife to death? And a similar incident a few years later is now actually the topic of today's Patreon episode. Equally divisive, religiously inspired, violent and impassioned. This incident is where uh, a young American nation realizes that the slavery argument, nah, it's not going to go away, Dad. Yeah. And it's going to have to end probably in bloodshed. So... This uh, fellow we're going to talk about today, obviously, as uh, you didn't figure it out, his name's John Brown. Okay, he's not a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. Um, this particular one is born in Connecticut in 1800 to a Calvinist abolitionist family. You know anything about the Calvins? <laughs> the Calvinist, uh, they're, it's a form of the Protestant religion, but they follow the teachings of John Calvin. Uh, so it's uh, very interesting here. They're huge on this. He grows up in a household where they're telling him that slavery is evil and needs to be eradicated entirely. Those beliefs are. I like the sound of this household. Oh, he's (laughs) (laughs) again though, but it's a a a deeply religious household. That's the other thing too. And this guy's got a little bit of Nat Turner to him, where he's going to be experiencing visions and he's going to have this moral calling and everything else like that too. Yeah, the moral the moral calling is what's really big in John Brown's uh, uh, upbringing in that it's uh, not only bad but it's a sin against God. So I mean. Uh, just to have slavery as an institution is a sin against God, so it has to be eradicated. And uh, he's quite effective. He's an interesting guy here. John Brown, bit of a wild card. He had failed at many businesses and had severe legal problems. Like it's, it's always funny when that just follows around the uh, the very religious types. Like uh, you know, going to build a, a Jesus you know themed uh, amusement park or something like that. You know, there's always some weird thing that happens when you don't have to pay taxes. But anyway, um, he is in severe legal trouble uh, several times here. Uh, and then that's kind of used against him. They're like, oh, it's John Brown. You know, he's going to constantly, you know, slipping on a banana peel. Yeah, he's, guy. Not, uh, he's not really a, a good businessman. But early on, too, I mean, at the age of 12, he witnesses a slave being uh, beaten with a shovel. And that kind of left a, an impression on his uh, on his childhood upbringing that, uh, you know, how could we possibly have slavery? And, and hearing from his father since, you know, day one that uh, it's a sin against God. And now he finally witnesses this firsthand, this beating of this slave with, by his uh, by his master with using a shovel to beat him with. That, yeah, it's uh, kind of like a holy shit, it really is this bad? Yeah, that makes <laughs> an impression on you. No, uh, and, and again, John Brown, uh, the morality of him is definitely uh, something worth noting. Again, the household he was raised in, big, big part of all that going on over here. But he attends a abolition meeting in Cleveland, Ohio. And he says publicly, that's when he starts declaring his intentions. He goes, I'm I'm going to end slavery. We're going to end this institution. It's like, so this abolition meeting, like I said, where they bring out people and you see the scars that some of the slaves had suffered. You hear the speeches about the conditions they're being kept in. A lot of fiery rhetoric here at the time. In uh, old time religion, kind of revival tent setting too. Right. And John Brown was not a... Uh-huh. Uh, just a rhetoric kind of a guy. He's a man of action. There's no, there's no doubt that he's he's taken it to uh, far beyond just just talking about how slavery is bad. But we're going to do something about it to to eradicate it, to stop it. Um, there's a, a situation now that the whole country is is polarized by this whole slavery issue. 
um, to the point where there's a, a publisher uh, of an anti-slavery newspaper, uh, Elijah Lovejoy, who shot the, the Reverend Lovejoy. Now, he wasn't a reverend. He was uh, just, just a publisher. <laughs> but yeah, different reference with Lovejoy. But um, he shot to death by a, a pro-slavery mob. And um, John Brown then attends um, Lovejoy's memorial service and makes a vow to uh, to end slavery. So again, he's he's more than just uh, talking about it. He's not he's he's walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Well, he's got some people on board with him too. Yeah, Brown, <laughs> Brown at this uh, memorial service stands up and vows here before God in the presence of these witnesses. I consecrate my life to the destruction of slavery. That's uh, that's bold talk. He's selling some T-shirts. He's doing merch. A little bit of a, a Ric Flair pro wrestler kind yep. of a vibe here. Definitely got a Patreon page. That's a <laughs> well, uh, th- th- there's yeah. something that comes into that later. <laughs> we're going there. Um, I was kidding, guys. <laughs> we were not. <laughs> history is uh, a, a history is an extremely fun topic to get lost in if you know where to look. Okay, and we're going to cover some weird, weird shit in the second half of this story. Now, again, in order to set up the zeitgeist. Uh, now, currently, we know uh, the good old state of Kansas as the the good old, uh, that's the heartland, right? Classic good people, the Midwest people, you know? The coastal elites call them flyover country. We call it basketball mecca if you're a college basketball fan. But at the time, it is not the polite good people of the Midwest. It's what's known as bleeding Kansas. So, again, that's where uh, Kansas, the, uh, the territory was pretty much filled up with uh, pro-slavery folks and pro-abolition folks, and they were fighting each other on the regular. Yeah, now that before we get to the actual fighting in Kansas, though, um, again, this whole slavery issue was um, so divisive amongst uh, the North and the South, or pro-slave abolitionists. The Missouri Compromise back in 1820, so like 20 years before all of this, before we have bleeding Kansas, uh, 30 years before this, the Missouri Compromise was, uh, again, that was a whole political issue back and forth that we're going to allow Missouri into the Union as the first state um, west of the Mississippi River. So Missouri's coming on, um, but and they're going to be a slave state. But in order for them to come in as a slave state, we're also accepting Maine to come into the Union as a free state. So the Missouri Compromise was, all right, we're going to have one for one. For one. But now yeah, we'll eight, do a little of column A, a little of column B. And, yeah, right. <laughs> so we're still keep trying to keep some sense of the balance of power, if you will, between slave, free, slave and free. Um, but then in 1842, all bets were off because Congress now decides that as these new states come into the union, the people within the state are going to decide by vote whether they're going to be free or slave. And the whole Dred Scott issue came in where if I own a slave, let's say in Virginia, and then move out out west to a free state, that property is still mine by the Dred Scott decision, which was a Supreme Court decision. So, I mean, there's there's political footballs back and forth all over the place here and unfortunately we're talking about the enslavement of human people so human yeah it's bondage, not a so. reciprocity for uh, <laughs> yeah. a concealed carry license or um you know maybe trying to bring if you're in a state that has legal marijuana and then you go to a state that does not have legal marijuana right. or you, you know so there's definitely um legal precedent has not been set just yet and we are talking about again it's not hard to say this is an evil institution of slavery here 
So uh, we got the Kansas-Nebraska Act now in 1854 where the, the federal government decides that um, that whole issue of slavery is going to be in the hands of those who are settling uh, these new territories. They're going to decide. So pro-slave people are running into Kansas. Um, um, abolitionists are running into Kansas, and they're trying to, you know, outmaneuver one another to the point where now we're starting to, uh, the shooting war. The, the the bleeding Kansas is really a precursor to the, to the Civil War. Oh, yeah. And uh, again, just because you were an abolitionist didn't mean necessarily you have the moral high ground. But there's a lot of crimes committed by these people as well, too, in the name of said moral high ground. One such attack would actually be an attack that was carried out against the James family, which a uh, little uh, loserception here. That's how you create the outlaw Jesse James when you hang his uh, uh, stepfather in front of him you know, for a couple minutes and then beat him up, too. Yeah, I don't think he's going to want to hear you out and be like, well, let's see. How is this really going to be looked at in 200 years? You know, no, you're going to be like, whoever just did that to me, I'm against them. That's how I know how this one gets solved. Kansas is a wild place out here at the time. But oh, and if, also, we would point out at this point, John Brown himself is pretty much bankrupt because a lot of the investments that he had made um, went south. He he moved the family out to Ohio thinking that they were going to build another canal out in Ohio. Uh, invested a lot of money, um, borrowing money, and the investments all went went broke because they decided not to build that canal that he was really banking on literally banking on so he's did you hear that guys a little little word play out of old larry there yeah, he's banking. Uh, <laughs> he's virtually uh you know uh bankrupt and uh then moves the family from ohio to upstate new york but um it's through um a benefactor that he um gets uh, some property in upstate New York up in the Adirondacks, a little place called Timbuktu. So if, you, if you've ever been to Timbuktu, uh, that's where we're at up in the Adirondacks. Uh, some of his sons, John Brown, for, not for nothing, he's a very uh, uh, spunky guy because he's got a lot, a lot of kids. He was married twice um, and he had, well, I think, uh five five kids by his first marriage and then his second marriage uh he's got like i think 13 from the second marriage so uh um the first the first wife dies in childbirth just for anyone keeping track at home that does mean that if john brown wanted to have thanksgiving at his house governor murphy would not allow it. that's right, that's right. <laughs> had to do it in shifts <laughs> um but anyhow, uh, some of his sons now, his grown sons, uh, go out to Kansas because they're also abolitionists. They go out to Kansas to see what influence they might um, put on uh, the good folks of Kansas to make sure well, that's that where that the action a, is. That right? becomes a free state again. And, and yeah, that's a developing area. That's where, you know, the economic boom, if you're going to be, if you will, is going to is going to happen. So um, they go out there, they get back and forth they send uh word back to daddy um you know come on come on to kansas and bring whatever uh guns and weapons and whatever else you got uh to to bring into the into the fold money guns and lawyers well, well, yeah <laughs> absolutely uh and we'll talk about that in a little bit but uh yeah he's he's rounding up um other influential abolitionists to uh try to raise funds for um I'm going to be setting sure you up for success with that in a second okay. here, actually. I'm, I'm excited, too. Because um, then while you're talking about that, I'm going to run to the bathroom and pee again. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
But uh, no, it's uh, it's important here because that's where the fighting is being done right now for this cause that out loud John Brown keeps talking about at length, ad nauseum probably. And uh, so he winds up, him and his five sons, five of his sons, I should say, they head out to Kansas and become active participants in some of the tit-for-tat violence out there. The town of Lawrence, Kansas, had been raided in 1856 by pro-slavery marauders. This sent John Brown into a guerrilla warfare campaign that sees him and his sons attack several homes and actually murder. This one was worth noting, too. Again, the moral high ground is here. Slavery is a bad thing. Also bad. Murdering people with broadswords. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, yeah. Old he, school, like Braveheart swords. <laughs> they're, they're just hacking these. He kills five people, him and his sons. They wind up killing five people uh, in retaliation for the, uh, the sack on uh, Lawrence, Kansas, if you will. Yeah, so I mean, he he leaves um, the Adirondacks, upstate New York, and and he's going to Kansas, uh, declaring that he's going to make that a free state, come hell or high water. Um, then May, um, there, there's there's fanatics, vigilante groups back and forth on both sides of this whole slavery issue. Um, they sacked this town of, of Lawrence, Kansas, um, but it's not just in Kansas where. People are really getting, you know, their blood to boil. That same day with the uh, the fight in Lawrence, Kansas, um, where slave pro-slavery are um, murdering people that were um, abolitionists. That same day, John Brown learns that an abolitionist senator, Charles Sumner, is uh, has been severely beaten on the Senate floor mm-hmm. by a Southern congressman. The guy just beat the shit out of him with his cane. <laughs> in the middle of what? <laughs> in the, yep. what in the, the middle fuck? of Congress. So, yeah, this isn't just something that, you know, these are frontier uh, roughnecks. Who was like, yo, let's just let this play out. Let's just see what happens. Well, like, I'll tell you what, most I mean, highest rating C-SPAN ever had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So, um you know, and at that, uh, he just kind of loses his shit. And it's an, and again, like you said, Kev, tit for tat, that John Brown now leads a small group of uh, abolitionist followers, if you will, um, to uh, seek revenge. Yeah, they're uh, they're getting into it, man. They wind up murdering, again, as we said, five men with broadswords. During some of these skirmishes, actually, one of John Brown's sons is killed, dies in, in the cause, if you will. So John Brown's extremely committed. You'd think that would shake him up a little bit where he's like, Oh, I can't believe I lost my son. Maybe I'm in over my head here. Nope. Deepens the commitment even more so. John Brown was definitely committed to the cause, but now that he had blood on his hands to match the conviction of his words, people are starting to notice. Brown is going to head back to the East Coast now. All right. So he's going to leave bleeding Kansas for a little bit, but he's going for a reason. He's got to raise money and awareness of the cause, a.k.a., like we said, Kahuna, starting a Patreon. <laughs> so he's coming back to start. Help, he's, help he, me end slavery forever. Patreon. Yeah, that's right. You know? um, Founding but, winners. Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> but Sorry, y'all. Oh, Wordplay has to be done on this show. It's important. Uh, this is actually going to bring us to uh, uh, the funders of John Brown's infamous next move, which will be his raid on Harper's Ferry. The, the, we were calling this name uh, the title of the episode, right? We we're going back and forth with it. It was uh, we doing it on John Brown or the raid on Harper's Ferry. They're so synonymous with one right. another. Right. But we wanted to get they're a one. Bit of, of they're one in the here. same. But uh, you know, again, this guy started out um, flat broke. He's he's bankrupt. And it wasn't. It was just by the good graces of uh, some folks um, that he was able to acquire property in upstate New York. But now this whole thing in Kansas, and he's making a name for himself. I mean, he's he's being painted as a 
as a terrorist, um, depending on your viewpoint. One so, man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. There you go. There you <laughs> More go. evidence of that I've to come. I have heard a truer statement for this show in a minute. No, it's, but <laughs> it, it's a cliche for a reason. It fits, baby. You right. know what? I'm calling it. That's not, that's a really bad exclusive T-shirt idea just for this show. Jesus. <laughs> well, I, John Brown's got some quotes, too. Um, Are you oh, of course he does. Yeah. He's gonna. He's a pretty good quote here. Uh, a very interesting guy to cover. Uh, but I do want to just kind of paint this image. So now he's leaving Kansas where he's been, again, the guy murdered five people with broadswords. Maybe not himself personally. I do have a question, though. Hit me. That retaliation that you spoke about, it was because of Lawrence or it was because of Lawrence, Kansas yeah. or yeah, that because was the, it was in it. Well, that was the incident that, that set him off where he took it personal. Now, he took it personal. Like, did he know someone that like lo- like that was involved in it or was he just insulted because of the general issue that was that incident? I think it was a drawing a line in the sand kind of a thing where okay. he was like, uh, you know, I've been you know, blubbering about this for forever. Right. And now, oh, oh, you guys want to see violence? I'll show you violence. Ah, okay. So he turns into the Punisher. Yeah, well, kind of like, um, uh, there's a guy I know that I grew up with um, that used to tell us, uh, you want to see an Irish temper? I'll show you an Irish temper. Why does it sound like an Uncle Paulie thing? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, that was, uh, that's how we knew we finally pissed my dad off enough that that the potential for violence has existed. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm glad I've continued the streak because I've never seen your dad mad. I don't think I want to. It's not great. It sounds there, there is a line there that that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. <laughs> we found it a couple times. It's usually time over for action. Uh, usually it was weird on report card day. Um, <laughs> oh, oh. Nah, nah. You're painting the wrong picture there, buddy. Yeah. So never. now, for listeners at home, my father never murdered me with a broadsword, but we hey, came close. Me too. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> well, I want to set this up for uh, the imagery here. So John Brown, who kind of is a failed businessman, now he's out there. Now there's this. Now there's literally blood on his hands. He's got a little bit of a wild boy reputation here uh he's very much committed to the cause but he's got to get back over to the east coast to try to raise some money for this stuff so picture if you will john brown okay walking in blood on his hands maybe a scuffed up t-shirt but it's him walking into shark tank to go pitch his idea for ending slavery (laughs) but instead of mark cuban and mr wonderful he's got to deal with a group known as the secret six lawrence patrick burke who are the secret six the Secret Six, well, it depends on who you ask, Kev, because if it's the Secret Six, if you ask Ming and the comic book men. I was about to say. Uh, the Secret <laughs> Six is a DC uh, comic book uh, teams, not to be confused with the Secret City Saga or the Sinister Six, uh, but the uh, the Secret Six in DC world, DC comic world, is uh, led by uh, a sinister mockingbird. But. This isn't the guys that we're really talking about. <laughs> no, I don't think it's. I don't think that's who we're talking about. No, Great no, reference, though. I'm very no. proud of that. There you go. There you go. I thought, I thought Ming would uh, appreciate. That oh, he will. Anyhow. He will. Um, but uh, no, these aren't uh, comic book make believe guys. Um, there's a number of um, also abolitionists, um, primarily in New England, and centered. I guess headquarters, if you will, would be. Um, Boston, that Boston was a hotbed of abolitionist um, thinking. And he goes around trying to raise funds um, for his uh, his intended army, if you will, that he's going to lead this insurrection that's going to uh, arm uh, African-Americans and raise them up out of slavery. So he's in pitching a, his movie concept. Yeah, right he, he's, 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 pitch, trying to- he's pitching the big, the big show here. And there's a number of um, biggies, but... Um, there's names here that we're going to throw out at you. There's a Thomas Wentford Higginson. Uh, he's like, 
he's a minister. Um, most of these uh, secret six um, were of a religious uh, nature. Um, this guy happens, this Higginson happens to be a minister, and he's one of the oldest families in New England. And uh, But he's... Uh, He's also an amateur boxer, and he has little. People were very well rounded back then. Yeah, little tolerance for hesitation or weakness. So this guy Higginson, he's a man of action. There's a guy by the name of uh, Garrett Smith. Um, now he's already Brown's benefactor. He's the guy that gave him land in, in the upstate New York, up in the Adirondacks. Um, there's a Reverend uh, Theodore Parker. He's an eloquent, uh, controversial uh, Unitarian uh, minister. Um, so again, there's the moral high ground, if you will, that although if you're a minister, you, you don't have a whole lot of money, but you can sway uh, those who might have money to uh, help uh, fund the cause. There's a doctual, Dr. Samuel uh, Gridley Howe. Uh, he's big on educational reforms for the blind, the insane and feeble minded kind of a thing. He's He's going to become important in a little bit, too. Um, there's uh, George Luther Stearns. He's a chief financer, uh, immigrant aide, and uh, helps facilitate some of the settlement of the Kansas. So there's people, the, a lot of these guys are already funding um, abolitionists who were moving out to Kansas to try to settle that whole <laughs> freer or slave uh, Kansas issue. And then there's um, uh, Franklin Sanborn. Uh, Sanborn's a young, um, idealistic. He's he's actually out of Concord, uh, uh, Massachusetts. He's a schoolmaster, but he's also secretary for a, a very uh, influential group. Um, because when this whole Kansas statehood issue came up, a lot of the uh, northern states, well, northern and southern southern states, are sending people, are raising funds and sending people out there so to make sure that the vote went their way. Um, but this uh, Franklin Sanborn guy, he's also very much involved with the Massachusetts State Kansas Committee. So this is a committee of people that are raising money yeah. to send people out to Kansas. So you're, you're, you're loading the, the ballot box, if you will, with, with people to uh, make sure that it is going to go. Hey, don't say anything about up. voter fraud here, Dad, or otherwise Facebook's going to oh, put no, an no, ad no, out no, over no, us. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, fundraising is the chief function of this secret six. Um, Brown um, kind of meets with a lot of these uh, individuals, well, certainly with these six, but there's also uh, other people that he wants to bring into this kind of, into this fold. Frederick Douglass, who is a uh, very well-known uh, political speaker. Uh, he was a former slave that escaped slavery, uh, very well-educated guy very much uh, influential within the abolitionist movement. He's trying to bring him in. Uh, Henry David Thoreau is another one. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of big names. Uh, uh, there's uh, a lot of big names on the second half of this story, too. To, yeah. To, on the <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson is also. So there's a the lot American of. American intellectual. They're very, very much so. And they're all moving for this uh, abolitionist type of a thing. But um, the Secret Six, in a nutshell, um, they're trying to raise funds. Some of them are a little sketchy on on John Brown that he's a little he's a little bit too radical in his thinking. That you know he's doing a whole lot more than just talking about it. But uh, you know they're uh, they're thinking that well yeah to um, 
roust out slaves, arm them, and have him lead a slave revolt. Yeah, that might work out on the Western frontier. But if anybody gets in our way, broadsword. <laughs> right. Hack them. Um, John is just always suggesting that from now on. You know, guys, it worked this time. Like, it, it can do it again. Yeah, but Brown's idea is to take it right to the to the heart of the South and, and start it. It started in Virginia. Well, it's uh, now I want to set this part up here. Thank you for that, by the way. Brown, again, is similar to the earlier part of this episode with Nat Turner in that now he's got followers and he's got a plan as well. His army, if you will, of sorts is about uh, 22 men deep and included some African-Americans as well. So diversity back then, you know what I mean? Pretty cool. Uh, the job was uh, the, the plan really is pretty simple. John Brown intends to terrorize the South and provide the spark for the flame of abolition. All right. Uh, John Brown is going to rent a house in Maryland for his crew in order to start planning and plotting for their big move. Uh, terrible Airbnb kind of a thing. You're like, oh, it's a, <laughs> is this the house John Brown carried yeah. out his raid from? Uh, um, n- no. <laughs> but uh, the, the bathrooms and the sheets were clean. So he had, to sign a, he had to sign the agreement. No parties in this house. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to take it elsewhere. Spring break, baby. Yeah. So the plan, and uh, I'm using air quotes here. We're using this term very loosely because his plan, I don't know if you came across this, Dad. He had no, uh, for all military operations, for anything that you've ever done as a, a woodworker or a carpenter, you have to have a plan and then a backup plan, and you have to have some vision for this thing. Uh, there is no escape route planned for Harper's Ferry. Right. That's one thing they decided not to plan on. There is no, well, what do we do if this shit goes south? Um, I'm sorry, but that's one of the dumbest things <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. How do you not plan the exit? What did they think was going to, like, did they think that they were going to be so wholly successful that, like... Yep. Yes and hey, yes. They're on a mission from God here. <laughs> uh, I'll take a Blues Brothers reference Absolutely. anytime we can get they, one. In there. there you go. A way bloodier Blues Brothers movie. Jeez. Not by much. Um. Yeah, but <laughs> the whole idea was that, um, you know, they were going to launch this uh, insurrection. They were going to arm the slaves. The slaves were going to come to them in droves, which is one of the reasons why he wanted to involve uh, Frederick Douglass, because he's a... A black man himself and well-spoken and everything else that they thought that he would be able to draw slaves into into this. I like to picture a moment idea. where John Brown saying that to Frederick Douglass, like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe you could like put the word out, get like the other slave. He goes, oh, yes, yeah, because so, all black people all know each other. Right, John Brown? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's getting intense over here. But his plan is that he's going to take over a federal arsenal. We're going to keep referring to it as federal because the Civil War has not happened yet. And you'll see why that's important in a minute later. So a federal arsenal at Harper's Ferry um, is what they're that's their target. They're going to take that over. Then they're going to take the 22 men are going to then get the, the weapons and everything out. They're going to arm the slaves. Right. Because the slaves are going to just descend upon them now. Uh, and he wants the slaves to pretty much pull a Nat Turner and that they're going to then join him. Right. So he's going to have this slave army, but it never really comes into fruition for him. Uh, but the plan was that these people would be inspired by his action, that he would be the catalyst for change. And then essentially he'd become kind of a Robin Hood type up in the uh, Appalachian Mountains where uh, he would pretty much be starting the war against slavery that he'd been openly telling people about for years. He wasn't real. There was a lot of bravado to him. There was a lot of bluster to John Brown. People, no one could sit there when they finally heard, oh, did you hear that he uh, he put a raid on Harper's Ferry? Like, well, we knew this day was coming. It's <laughs> and he's, a, he's a big guy. He's an imposing guy. And, uh, you know, he's there's no 
question as to you know, John's intentions. He's he's all about it. He's not a wishy-washy kind of a guy that, uh, no, you know. Terrifying the conviction that he yeah. has. <laughs> when he, uh, you know, he, he has announced, um, it was no big secret that he was going to try to lead this slave uh, insurrection um, and arm the slaves and free the slaves. That, that wasn't any, you know, dark clandestine secret. That everybody knew that this guy's a, you know, to some view in him, this guy's a total whack job. That, yeah. uh, Why is this guy always talking like he's drunk, but we never see him drinking? <laughs> um, and then, again, that's another reason why the Secret Six decided, well, maybe we just want to keep ourselves as the Secret Six rather than, you know, rather than coming to the forefront and, and you know, having all kinds of speechifying as to uh, John Brown's uh, good intentions type of a thing. It's pretty much, okay, John, uh, good luck to you, and uh, let us know how that all we works out. We just wanted out. to spread out some abolitionist yeah. literature out in Kansas, and this guy's just broadsword motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was interesting, too, that a lot of the uh, weapons that he did gather up was, you know, rifles and muskets, that type of a thing, but he was also looking for pikes. Now, for those who are not familiar with that it's a weapon but it's like a a spear but much much longer kind of like a lance type of a thing where you can be stabbing people from from a distance Mm -hmm. without getting up close and personal that you're going to it's like a a bayonet charge without the rifle on the or the bayonet that's a good way of looking at it yeah yeah, yeah. all right so um but his his thought was that um, if we free a lot of these slaves, they're not going to know how to use a musket. So we got to give them a weapon that's a little better than an axe and a hatchet like Nat Turner had. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll give them a, a nice pike. Um, and try- again, that was a, a weapon that was very common back in the, back in the day. Well, uh, the raid on Harper's Ferry, which is what we finally set the stage for, is going to be the catalyst that starts it all. And uh, it begins on the night of October 16th, 1859. Brown and the boys etched themselves into the history books. Harper's Ferry is uh, in modern West Virginia, but at the time was just considered part of Virginia. Yeah, West Virginia hasn't split from Virginia just yet exactly. because we haven't gone through the Civil War yet, but well, we're not too far away. Only a couple of years. Keep Sit tight. We're, we're getting there. This is 1859, so um, there we go. Some very famous Virginians are about to come into the story too, by the way. Uh, the federal arsenal at Harper's Ferry was solid and yet not extremely well guarded. And Brown, as, again, like you said, Cahoons, he's got no fucking game plan whatsoever for if this goes wrong. But guess what? It doesn't go wrong. He takes the thing over with pretty much ease. They weren't expecting this. There's no way this was going to happen. Probably a couple of guards, you know, whatever. But uh, the federal arsenal is uh, is overtaken without little to no effort by Brown and his men. Who do you think in this party got the biggest I told you so? From 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 John, but when he was like, "I think we needed a game plan, an exit plan." It's like, well, what about now, motherfucker? Yeah. <laughs> um, correct. That would be a great moment if it doesn't all then go to shit. So, how bad? How how shit are we talking? Um, on a scale of one to shit, I'm going to say it's shit. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Now, keep in mind, just for the numbers game here, he and his 18 men, including three of his own sons. Okay, right. Remember, he lost a son in the skirmishing out in Kansas. Kansas. Now he's got his three sons with him. They take the arsenal by surprise. The plan works. Now they have hostages, the arsenal, and a message. Brown sends out patrols. Okay, a couple of groups of his men now are going to go out there and spread the word. Go tell all the slaves. You know, tell everybody you can hear. It's starting here, all right? The revolution is now. 
And Brown pulls it off. He now holds the arsenal, and it's just a mere matter of time before his army of rebelling slaves joins him. Right? Yeah, and he goes out to some of the some of his men go out to some of the nearby uh, farms and stuff, and and capture uh, hostages, if you will, slave owners. Uh, one of which I think was uh, a great grandson of uh, George Washington or something. Grand nephew, yeah. Grand nephew of uh, now he called me grandson because he didn't have kids, but yeah, grand nephew of George Washington. That's so. how big George Washington's dick was. He couldn't have kids. <laughs> There's a, look at all the monuments they make to him. It's always a penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, his his idea of, uh, you know, he's going to be the the modern day Moses and lead the uh, the uh, the slaves out of uh, out of bondage. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't going so well. Well, uh, the slave army, all that has to happen now. And by the way, hilarious that I just realized that. um <laughs> uh, your casting couch for this one's going to be a good one, Kahuna. But I think I have somebody, uh, maybe that was on the show, Comic Book Men, with a long beard that looks exactly like John Brown. That looks I, like I can't believe I just placed this now, but uh, you'll see at the end here. I already know who I'm casting. It's going. You're going to love it. Well, uh, so this would be the penultimate part of the movie then for him because he's sitting there. He's taking the arsenal over. Now it's just about a time he's got the moral high ground too. He's the conviction of his words. He's proven that he's not full of shit. And uh, he's got the men, he's got the arsenal, and it's just a matter of time. Let's get that slave army. Come on, guys, slave army, coming on through. All right, my friends are going to be here any minute. Any minute now, my slave army's going to show up, and we're going to overthrow the. We're going to start the. Um, why is no one this coming? Is where, this is where the trombone starts. And... <laughs> yeah, uh, well, the, here's the thing. The, a lot of the slaves either are, I mean, we don't know what we're getting ourselves into with this John Brown character at all. Uh, another part of it is, well, hey, they tried that. You know, there was this big rebellion baby 30 years ago uh, with this Nat Turner guy, and everybody started getting their asses whooped a little bit harder after that. So we don't exactly know what we're getting involved in here. Or hung because, uh, you know, killed whether they were involved with Nat Turner or not. So that that memory is... Uh still fresh it's still fresh in the black community it's still fresh in the in the white community. excellent so. point now so because that that fear is still there too now here's the craziness uh despite the um it, it, they're not going to sit there militias aren't going to debate the merits of slavery the townsfolk aren't going to sit there and be like, well, what side of this argument are we on the townsfolk are going to sit there and say well shit uh an armed group just came in and took uh, a federal arsenal hostage if you will and they're now in our town what that so you're going to get put, you know, feedback's coming. All right. There's going to be a, a local response to this. And there's uh, some gunfighting going on here between John Brown's men, uh, local militias that aren't, you know, arm themselves up because the idea was, well, if this guy's, you know, first of all, again, he's holding federal weapons that right. he could potentially be using against us. Uh, also, then his idea is he wants to then arm the slaves. Are the slaves going to start coming through and are we going to lose our town? Is this town going to get burnt to the, a crisp? We don't know what the deal is here. Yeah. I mean, to the locals, um, he just attacked a, a federal um, facility. It wasn't very well guarded because, you know, who are we fighting? We're not fighting anybody. We're not at war with anybody. So you're really not guarding the federal arsenal against uh, some foreign uh, invader. Uh, this is domestic terrorism uh, that are taken over Excellent the federal, the federal, uh, the federal uh, facility. So the locals are now trying to take back the, the federal facility. And in this uh, exchange of gunfire, if you will, two townsfolk get killed and eight of John Brown's raiders are killed. Okay, word does spread quickly, as Brown had hoped. Unfortunately, his slave army will never answer the call. And the only army that's going to arrive at Harper's Ferry was indeed a federal one, a group of U.S. Marines. Yes, that's right. U.S. Marines, which we covered was they were just the most uh, nearby group, if you will. 
um, of, of soldiers that could be dispatched on short notice to get out for this federal response. Um, it, it, I'll let you tell the backstory of that one too, Deb, but I do want to get these big names out of the way here because this is this is the crazy part. When we talk this about this is the crazy part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, I sometimes forget. Now that. it's getting crazy. <laughs> oh, dude, Kahuna. This some of the names we're about to drop get a little bit wild here. Oh, does this become like losers' infinity war up in this motherfucker? Or? <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. Some Game of Thrones type stuff too. Uh, the local townsfolk and militia they have surround Brown and they're engaging in these skirmishes, like we're saying here. Now the Marines are going to show up. And guess who the Marines are under the command of? I'll give you one. You'll, you'll never get it in a million years, so do not get upset here. <laughs> I'm not going to guess. Just tell me. Throw one guess out. No. I, mean, I don't want to look stupid right Jetty now. motherfucking... Are you serious? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, equally shocking name, though. So a, uh, a guy here uh, who's pretty interesting, dude. He's going to be leading this group of Marines. Uh, they're under the command of one of America's brightest military stars. The, I know who it was. Who was it? Teddy Roosevelt's sperm. <laughs> <laughs> when he was a swimmer, of course he was fighting. It's uh, I think we like we're, we're still teasing about that, but when I'm very, I'm anxious to see the boys' reaction when we see. Them. <laughs> just, yes, uh, a very bright uh, military mind, uh, the former superintendent of West Point, uh, the son of a American revolutionary hero, a uh, revolutionary war hero, I should say is going to be in command of these uh, Marines that are going to show up. Uh, a guy who had already uh, established himself as a hero in the war with Mexico. Uh, th this fellow's name is Robert E. Lee. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. First crossover. I'm digging it. <laughs> so the future, the future head of the Confederacy, if you will, the, the, the symbol of the military might, the, the leader of the Army of Northern Virginia is on his way to Harper's Ferry with a group of Marines. Also in his command, by the way, is uh, another future Civil War general, uh, in Jeb Stewart, another guy who was, uh, you know, had, had known Robert E. Lee and served with him for quite some time here. Uh, now, those guys are going to show up here. LP, did you want to unpack that a little bit? You had some other info. Yeah, I just um, one of the things that kind of went wrong for uh, John Brown to begin with is when they first took over the arsenal, um, they stopped the train that was coming into town at the same time. Uh, unfortunately, they let the train go on ahead. They didn't they didn't keep it in Harper's Ferry. So the train steams on along its way and now brings word that, hey, we just had these uh, these terrorists take over the arsenal. You know, Kahuna's picturing that it's Thomas telling people. Yeah. Well, leave, leave me the hell alone, okay? <laughs> I think there's a raid at Harper's Ferry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat the crap out of you when this is over. I think I can. I think I can. You, you know what? Both of you can take this book and shove it, all right? <laughs> but anyhow, word quickly comes back to Washington, D.C. that, uh, you know, they just, uh, terrorists just took over the federal arsenal at Harper's Ferry. Buchanan, President Buchanan, um, was like, holy shit, like, finally, he's not um, a guy that's going to dilly-dally on this thing. He realizes the how serious this situation is, um, so that he then dispatches whoever's available. The only troops, if you will, that were around um, were in the uh, Washington Naval Yard, and that's why the Marines were sent, because that's who they could gather up quickly. Robert E. Lee just happened to be home on leave because Robert E. Lee is an army guy. He's not a Marine. He's an army guy. So why is an army guy leading the Marines? Well, because the only forces that we had available was in the Washington Naval Yard. So the Marines gather up whoever's able-bodied and able to answer the call. They don't know 
exactly how many people John Brown has. So they're sending these guys out, you know, armed with whatever. They had like three-pound uh, cannon and uh, that type of thing that went with them. Um, Lee happens to be home on leave, and he's only in Arlington. Now, anybody that's visited the nation's capital knows that Arlington National Cemetery is literally just across the river from mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. That was the ancestral home of uh, Robert E. Lee's uh, wife. So he's in Arlington. He's just across the river. He's summoned uh, immediately, and Jeb Stewart is also home on leave in another part of Virginia. So they quickly come back to Washington, and they're sent out to um, uh, to um, Harper's Ferry to put down this uh, this insurrection. I like if to you picture will. them showing up in the A-team van just to make things more interesting. <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, so now, again, we're talking about this crazy raid here. Brown's raid, um, it, it eventually, I mean, pretty much Robert E. Lee shows up, just beats the shit out of these guys. They take it over with relative ease. It's yeah. not much of a fight. Yeah, um, they, these these guys, um, Brown's men are now kind of holed up in one building within the Arsenal c- compound, if you will. And the first thing Lee does is take all, right, all you all you townies and all you militia guys get the hell out yeah we, marines are uh, we got this the marines yeah. have arrived we got this um and they quickly uh, send in a, a detachment uh battering ram they knock down the door they cap they shoot up the place uh a bunch of uh brown's men are killed uh brown himself is wounded um 10 of brown's men are killed including two of his sons okay <laughs> so this now puts brown's dead son's number at three so his dedication to his wife cause. is not a fan of him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wives, right? Um, <laughs> as well as his family's uh, commitment to the cause, it cannot be denied. All right, Brown is wounded in this final confrontation as Robert E. Lee puts down the would-be insurrection and ends the would-be slave rebellion right there in Harper's Ferry. Uh, Brown's raid was started and ended within 36 hours. By the way, this did not last long. But the fallout is going to last for the ages. And the nation is, I mean, we talk about how slow news was getting around back then. This tweet went viral pretty quick. Okay. So he's got some attention on him. Um, And also just for the comparison's sake too, like we said earlier with Nat Turner, Nat Turner's, uh, you know, he was able to live uh, and evade capture for a little while, but really the bulk of his rebellion uh, started and ended within 48 hours. So Nat Turner pulled off 48 hours. Uh, John Brown, about 36. 36. (laughs) But Brown is arrested and he will stand trial. Uh, It's it's a relatively uh, quick process that uh, they're going to go through here, but there's still plenty of time. So now there's uh, the emotional appeal of all this and whatnot is going to be happening here. He is found guilty and sentenced to death. Uh, People in the South, they labeled him as a domestic terrorist and a traitor. The abolitionists were praising his commitment and lionizing him in in, abolitionist publications. So it's ridiculous here. Now, again, bearing in mind that we know that it's a simple truth and an easy idea that people should know people. But the fears in the South of slave uprisings were now doubled. And this is now also, in addition, now being coupled with the shock that an act like John Brown's could be considered heroic to these northerners that they're already having some tension with. So, uh, again, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. And John Brown, at age 59, is now a household name. All right. So he kept saying, I'm going to get out there and end slavery. And like, oh, shit, he's really. <laughs> All right. He's not he's not talking shit. Yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, he's doing a little bit more than we thought he was going to do. He's doing something with that degree. And this isn't out on the frontier in some, you know, godforsaken place like Kansas, uh, you know, on the, on the <laughs> western frontier. This is happening right in our own 
backyard at our at our federal arsenal in Virginia, in in you know, um, in close to home. It's not some faraway place. This is this is some serious shit that we got this this lunatic that's now trying to arm the slaves to rise up against this kind of a thing. So, so again, the abolitionists are making him out to be a saint. They kind of set him up as this instant martyr type character here. Um, there's a lot of tension going on. And uh, as we said, he's now a household name. The Southern papers are attacking him relentlessly and painted the entire North as being complicit in the attack. The abolitionists made a martyr out of Brown immediately. Paintings and songs were created to uh, praise the hero of Harper's Ferry, uh, famed American intellectual Ralph Waldo Emerson, who you mentioned earlier, Dad, uh, he publicly states that as Brown is awaiting his execution by hanging, he was certain that Brown was going to, quote, make the gallows as glorious as the cross. So that's going to evoke a little bit of Christ-like imagery. Again, we'll keep talking about religion being a major factor in this whole story here. Um, the wildest thing is this. Believe it or not, guys, the loudest voices in the room were the most extreme. Can you believe that? Wow. And anybody who was <laughs> anybody who had a little you know, nuance to them, maybe uh, some ability to compromise. Yeah, those people pretty much just get told, shut the fuck up. Uh, the uh, the South is sitting there like the North thinks this is completely OK. Meanwhile, most papers up in the North condemned what John Brown did. But the abolitionists were so they were trying to turn him into a saint. So it's kind of like imagine. um like uh, the, the Zarnev brothers for the Boston bombing. Imagine that there's part of the country that's like, actually, what they did is fantastic. And I, I we're so there'll be, a, you know, Ugh. a very vocal minority right. making it sound like they're speaking for everyone. So that's going to escalate tensions here. Again, most of the papers up north, they had denounced the raid. But that doesn't get people's blood flowing. That's not a sexy story. OK, the most bombastic and the more outlandish the coverage, the more people would get involved. With fiery debates on both sides of the Mason-Dixon, which if you guys don't know, that was the line that separated the North from the South back in the day. Um, voices of reason have kind of gone silent. Uh, the divide that already existed has now become the proverbial, uh, to borrow a quote from George Carlin, Dad, uh, the turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> so <laughs> There you go. It's now unavoidable. So this this blood is being spilled. There's bleeding Kansas going on out there with the Jayhawkers and all that other crazy shit. And now this religious zealot led a little tiny army in and this is right in your backyard like you said that this is this is virginia which is supposed to be you know one of the original colonies this is you know the heads Founding of the fathers and yeah. dc itself is right nearby i mean what the hell's going on over here so just a short train ride away <laughs> well uh this turd in the punch bowl is going to have to be uh spoken about here john brown gets called insane uh publicly by future president abraham lincoln and uh, is also called John Brown as the greatest white man who ever lived by Harriet Tubman, who thinks that he's he's all right. This John Brown fellow. <laughs> right. Uh, he also did have the respect of Frederick Douglass and was admired by many European anti-slavery intellectuals. There was a couple of appeals written on his behalf to try to get him, you know, his sentence commuted, if you will. That uh, wasn't going to happen. No, no, you don't. Not even to, a little bit. You don't get to do that and then walk away from it. Um, but unless you're in the weather underground, apparently. But uh, he had the respect, like we said, of a lot of these people. The abolitionists are, again, making him into a saint. Um, but everyone, even though they respect what Brown did, they all sit there and they know, like, this is probably going to lead to some more bloodshed in America. So shit's going on here. This is 1859. I think this was just the start. Yeah. Well, uh, on December 2nd, 1859, John Brown is executed via hanging. LP, jump in. Yeah. Surprise, at his trial, surprise. I mean, there was... Uh 
you know, immediately there was investigation as to, well, how did this guy come up with this John Brown, this guy that was bankrupt? How did he come up with the funds to uh, to support this whole armed rebellion? And now the Secret Six are doing uh, more than lying low. They're doing a skedaddle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're doing a skedaddle. Uh, One went to uh, Italy for health reasons. uh, (laughs) Yeah. uh, For his own. Like checking the rehab for exhaustion. (laughs) Yeah, he had tuberculosis and they felt that by going to Italy would help save his life. But he 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 dies soon soon after. He had Uh, early onset symptoms of a broken neck that he wanted (laughs) to get. (laughs) There you go. A little crick in the neck. Yeah. Uh, and some of them skedaddled up to Canada. Um, some of them, one was actually, uh, they, they tried to arrest him, and that was the guy uh, out of Concord. Um, uh, too many. They all have the generic uh, three names, too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Three names. But anyhow, they are, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, Higginson, I believe. Um, but uh, they tried to arrest him, but the townspeople, like, immediately came to his defense like this whole angry mob surrounded the arresting officers oh, and shit, not another one wouldn't allow him to take him away kind of a thing so um they really escaped um any any complicity uh with john brown's uh, raid um but uh the the trial was it was a done deal before where are you going to be tried you're going to be tried in virginia so what do you, what do you think is this is going to go that you just and this whole charge of treason this guy attacked a federal um, facility in the uh, in the uh, arsenal at Harpers Ferry, so that yeah, that's a treasonous offense. So, it's kind of like taking over Alcatraz, yeah, and only secret- Nicholas Cage and Sean Connery can stop you. <laughs> yeah, the Secret Six weren't about to. Oh yeah, I think that was a great idea. They're not they're not coming up to, uh, too strong in, in John Brown's uh, defense because they might get their neck stretched uh, as well. So um, there you go. He he is he is hung. Well, uh, he's got an audience. I want to get into the the people who were. In the crowd, uh, witnessing the hanging, if you will. Yep, Robert uh, E. Lee. Well, Robert E. Lee is, you know, he's him and Jeb Stewart are the ones that bring him down, which is, you know, obviously the irony being that they will then later fight for the Confederacy against the federal government of which they were the responding force, you know, in, in uh, requested by, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, but this one's kind of interesting here. Like we said, December second, eighteen fifty-nine, John Brown is executed via hanging. Among the soldiers and citizens that witnessed the hanging were, get this shit, Cahoons, future Confederate general Stonewall Jackson is in the crowds as a member of the uh, American military at the time here. By the way, I'm pretty sure he was either a teacher or the superintendent at VMI. Um, yes. I know he was at VMI at some point. Wow. Um, but uh, so Stonewall Jackson's in the crowd. Uh, a little writer by the name of Walt Whitman is in the crowd who writes uh, uh, in depth about watching and witnessing the hanging. And he was, you know, Walt Whitman, pretty cool guy. He's going to be a topic on Loser eventually anyway. Um and a peculiar little character who uh, uh, definitely it, weird situation for him to even be here in the first place. And the rumor is that he apparently uh, uh, there's some nefarious uh, nonsense going on behind the scenes of how he even got there. But in the crowd to witness the hanging of John Brown is none other than John Wilkes Booth. The yep. man who shot Lincoln. The man who will later shoot and kill the man who's not president yet either, because keep in mind, the election has not happened uh 
just yet for um, uh, Lincoln. Lincoln comes in in 1860. Right. So you got Pierce is still president. But right this now. is this is uh, December 2nd of 1859. So, I mean, the, the trial and everything else, there was a, a big fear that a lot of these northerners are going to come down and try to rescue John Brown and, and release him from from uh, captivity. You know, that there was going to be a, a, a real war, a battle fought over uh, John Brown. So um, the uh, Virginia governor calls out the Virginia militia to protect the whole trial and uh, execution of John Brown to make sure that that didn't happen. John Wilkes Booth, he's a theatrical guy. He's an actor. He happened to be in Richmond at the time when they're calling up for the uh, Virginia militia to go and protect the whole proceedings. (laughs) Uh, He volunteers to go into the Virginia militia because he knew by volunteering for that, he would be able to go to the hanging. He would be able to witness the hanging. So for a very brief moment in time, uh, John Wilkes Booth was part of the Virginia militia to, to witness the, uh, the hanging of uh, John Brown. Hey, some folks get Jacksonville. Some get to witness the execution of John Brown. Uh, now, it's important here to note a couple of things, too, as we're wrapping up on this one. Uh, so he is, you know, John Brown is now dead. He's been turned into an instant martyr even before his death. Him being, say. Yeah, him being dead now. Is I, thought he just, I thought he survived Vigo the Carpathian style. <laughs> yeah. yeah, his severed head is speaking to people. But actually, there's a weird story, too. He wanted to be cremated, but that was not legal in the uh, Commonwealth of Virginia. So really? Was, yeah, so John Brown's body, which is a lyric in a song called The Battle Hymn of the Republic, yeah. where they, they definitely, you know, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming. That song, that's The Battle Hymn of the Republic. Okay, and then there's a John Brown's body thing that gets in there as well. Hit me, LP. You got no. That was uh, th- that tune, if you will, was a uh, um, a revivalist meeting, camp meeting type of a thing prior to all of this. So that tune was very well uh, publicized both north and south. A lot of people recognize that tune. Um, after the, the hanging of John Brown, there's a song that's written to that same tune, John Brown's Body. John Brown's Body lies a molder in the grave. you know. Um, um, and at the start of the Civil War, which is going to happen in, within two years, there's a Massachusetts uh, unit that had a guy in their unit named John Brown. And these guys started... Um, changing the the the, uh, the lyrics to that tune um, kind of teasing the John Brown that's within their regiment and also um, a little sarcastic yeah you know it, it, uh, military guys they're they're busting balls so, if your but, friends uh, didn't bust your balls they didn't love you right exactly correct exactly um, meanwhile now this Massachusetts unit is then directed to go down to Washington there's uh, Julia Ward Howe, who's married to Samuel Gridley Howe, who was one of the secret sex. Oh, shit. I didn't even put that one together. Yeah, Wait, yeah, yeah. really? Yep. Julia Ward Howe is married to Samuel Gridley Howe, who was one of the original secret six. So the guy that helped raise the funds for John Brown um, and later shied away from him. Now, Julia and Samuel are invited by Lincoln to help review the troops. And as this Massachusetts unit is going past, she's hearing these guys singing their version of John Brown. Okay. And then 
another one of the abolitionists, one of their friends said, you know, Julia, you write poetry. Maybe you ought to put new lyrics to that tune. And she's the one that actually writes the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Um, it's a small world after all. <laughs> right, right. Getting smaller. And when I first read about, you know, John Brown's body, these, these guys um, singing this to break the chops of the John Brown that was within their regiment. Uh, it also, there's another... A uh, famous song that's written to the same tune as the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and it's called Blood on the Risers, that during the Second World War, um, the Airborne, the paratroops, that was a brand new unit because we actually developed the paratroopers to compensate for the not, you know, for the Germans having the paratroopers. They were the first to actually uh, use paratroops. But Blood on the Risers is... Uh, is a satirical kind of a thing about it, this new recruit who did everything right except hook up to the <laughs> to the static line, and uh, and it, the the instead of glory glory hallelujah it's gory gory hallelujah what a hell of a way to die glory gory what a hell of a way to die look at that he's going to so, now he's show up he's got bars pipes. but yep. I was just I was just um, trying to point out that that battle hymn of the republic had far reaching. Uh, Oh, yeah. that they became a, mar- a, a marching tune for the Union soldiers. And, uh, you know, though we died to make men holy, we died to make men free type of a thing. That the, the lyrics to that tune has been altered a number of times where it actually becomes a, a church hymn once again. And, but, of course, they're changing things around. And, but, again, it's the whole idea of John Brown being the martyr um, to, uh, to free men. Well, the uh, the divide is uh, between the North and the South. It, it's actually irreparable at this point. Uh, the election of an abolitionist and a northerner by the name of Abraham Lincoln will set the stage for the bloody American Civil War because the South is like, listen, the North thinks they can just come here. There's people up north that think John Brown's a good guy. Now they're going to come down here and start telling us what to do. We're getting out of here. OK. Yeah. And, and that whole thing, too, that uh, the militias, especially in the South, People are in droves signing up for their state's militia, be it Virginia, be it Mississippi, Alabama, whatever, that, hey, if we got these wackadoodle northerners who are coming down trying to arm our slaves to rise up in in uh, revolution against us, we better make sure that we have the military uh, to put that put that down. So things are escalating big time and then leading up to the election of, uh, of Lincoln in, in 1860. So, yeah, things are... Things are are more than just arguing on the Senate floor and beating one another with a cane. But uh, we're now uh, again another real it's coming thing that's to a, a shooting war. So John Brown's spark might not have come to reality during his own life, but the institution of slavery that he was adamant about destroying would be ended effectively January first, eighteen sixty three, when President Lincoln issues the Emancipation Proclamation. So he didn't get to live to see it done, but it did happen. Okay. Um, now, is he a religious zealot? Was he a maniacal terrorist? Was he an abolitionist hero? Was he a total fucking whack job? All the above. Pick a term. It fits. It fits with everything here. LP, do you have anything else? I want to throw to the kahuna for a second for a casting couch to wrap this bad boy up. We are landing this plane, American loser. Yeah, I mean, the 13th Amendment in 1865 was actually freed uh, freed the slaves. 
the Emancipation Proclamation. You're right, Kev, January 1st, 1863. After that was announced, the Emancipation Proclamation, there was John Brown parties that a lot of the people in the North were celebrating that whole thing because um, and attributing the success of that um, Emancipation Proclamation to John Brown that, you know, he had to die in order to make that happen. It's uh, <laughs> it's quite fitting, man. I thought he was a fascinating topic here. I was very happy to, to put him out there. And when we announced this on the uh, the Patreon page, even some of the founding losers were jumping in and being like, oh, shit, this is a great topic. This is so you're a very well spent cup of coffee here uh, this month, guys. I, I hope you uh, enjoyed what we're doing here. We're going to throw to the kahuna real quick. You said you have three, I believe you just yes, told I me. Yes, I do. So for casting couch here in the movie about the life. Of John Brown, we are casting who and why. So, full disclosure: there's already something out about uh, about John that ha- that has already been released. It was on Showtime, and it was based on a book uh, that was written from the perspective of one of the the slaves that he recruited into his in, into the army, and that was out on Showtime. And that was he was played by Ethan Hawke. Okay, in, I can see a commercial for that then. He was okay. played by Ethan Hawke around this time. So I had three options. Uh, one was, I mentioned this guy before, Bradley Whitford. <laughs> who, he, was just, he was just in Get Out for those who, he also had a show on NBC for a hot second that just ended up getting canceled, which sucked. But I could see him doing this role from pretty Billy well. From Billy Madison for those yeah, who Yeah, from, from Billy is. Madison, but he could play like Unhinged really well if you, oh, if you watch that. So... So that was one. And then two is a joke. I was like, yo, flee. Because <laughs> I was like, if you actually put two and two together side to side, they kind of look similar in the There's way that they have. There's money, Lebowski. <laughs> and then three, just because I was like, because I also just finished the Sons of Anarchy kick. I was ah. like, Henry Rollins could do it pretty well. Henry Rollins. Oh, the, you think Henry Rollins is going to be able to match a guy with some fiery rhetoric? Yeah. Yeah. Oof, man. Henry, that, Henry Rollins is my favorite. That's the one that. I would watch that movie in a heartbeat. Oh, the two, well, the two previous were Why like- Why is John Brown shirtless all the time? Because <laughs> I'm a liar! But yeah, I mean, Flea was a joke pick. I, obviously, I was just like, oh, they kind of look the same. But I, I, he can't act. But I was just like, oh, Henry Rollins could easily No, Rollins, I would watch that movie in a heartbeat. I would watch that too. I was LP, like, anyone ah. jumping out at you, uh, no, you can think I'm, of here? I'm bowing to- uh, the Kahuna's casting couch. Yeah, this was a good one, man. I was uh, although we slept on that casting couch, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave me alone. It was one. T- it was literally one time. <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, I want to go ahead and land this plane. Then I want to say thank you so much to all the people over at the Patreon. You guys are the only ones that are getting this, man. This is the exclusive episodes here. Uh, I wish that I had just come up with a podcast where I could just riff and rant and do whatever. Uh, Kahuna and I were both guests on uh, Ghosted with uh, uh, you know, one of the other uh, sound engineers here, the, the great Chris and his girlfriend, Paige. They have a very fun show. It was fun to just sit down and shoot the shit with you, Cahoons. It really was. It, it Here's was... the problem, though. I created a show where I have to write a fucking term paper every week. <laughs> <laughs> I gave myself homework, Dad. That's it. I don't know what we're doing That's here. That's right. But uh, we're going to martyr for the cause, Kev. Yeah, and we will continue. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Wait uh, I picked on something. I picked up on something before KP. What the fuck? Yeah, this that is was a weird episode. Well, I keep trying to land the plane and then it's like, nope, 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 no, no, no runway yet. <laughs> but uh, so we're going to get out of here on this one. I want to say thank you so much to everybody uh, at the Founding Losers. Guys, you sent me your stuff. The merch is in. We have another piece that's coming. OK, that's going to be the big, big one. That's specifically for the Founding Losers. 
but if you have sent me your address already, I have noted it. Okay, we're going to sit there. My mother and I are going to sit down and just send out Christmas cards. But instead of Christmas cards, it's going to be some of your American Loser merch. We got some uh, stickers and uh, some pins for you. And we just want to say thank you so much for that. Because, again, without you guys, this show does not exist. I can't afford to keep doing this thing without you. And uh, as I'm disappearing down to Jacksonville for a little while, and LP is going to be over uh, sojourning for the winter in, uh, <laughs> That's right. to his estate in South Beach. Um, no, we're going to keep this bad boy going. The Cahoons is going to have us over on StreamYard. I'm going to be putting out some solo episodes here. And, uh, and then uh, we will maintain the integrity that we've established on our Patreon exclusive ones. You guys know we will never phone it in over here on Patreon. We're doing the we're, you're getting maximum effort. You're getting the more ambitious topics. And it's because, again, just just thank the people at home, Dad. Yeah, so much, so much. Absolutely. Without you guys, uh, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. Well, uh, if you guys know what the deal about the show, you can also help me spread the word about it a little bit. Uh, the more numbers I get, that means uh, the you know more content we can put out. That also means the potential for us to be able to do more things, get a little bit more ambitious video components that I'm wanting to put towards this thing. And we got to listen. Kahuna's got to pay off some student loans. All right, so we're eh. we're trying to give the boy a raise. Yeah, That's the spread thing. the gospel. Yeah, but anyway, guys. Uh, so thank you so much. And uh, I would normally be be plugging some comedy dates here, but. I'm going to go uh, work with uh, my friends Don Jameson and Jim Florentine tonight and tomorrow. And then, according to my comedy calendar, I've been fired from comedy. <laughs> and it doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. But uh, So we're going to get out of here on that note, guys. Uh, LP, thank you so much for your awesome research. Cahoons, thanks for being behind the ones and twos. Always. Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe. Always taking great care of us, even from remote. I'm sorry I finished the pretzels. Ming, I would say I would replace them, but I'm not going to. Buy more pretzels. Right. right? I pay enough money. Right? <laughs> right. Pretzels I are out. some pretzels. But, uh, guys, my name was K.P. Burke, and that was John Brown and the raid on Harper's Ferry, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. <laughs>